to us inclined. The Holy Gospel according to John, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables. Those who were selling the doves, he said, take those things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, The temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise the ending of our reading from Psalm 19 is something that many of the preachers that I grew up with started their sermons with. It's a prayer, a plea, one that I have also used, and so I invite you to join me in that prayer today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we have in our first reading another covenant between God and humans. Now, we've had the one between God and Noah and all of creation, with its sign being, what was the sign of that covenant? Noah and his ark. What's the sign of the covenant? Rainbow, Rainbow, right? The next one we had was between God and Abraham and Sarah, that God will be their God, give them a land, and they are to be faithful to God. And the sign of that covenant is... It's important to the men. Circumcision, right? Remember we talked about cutting a covenant. The one we have today is between God and Moses and the Israelites. And this one gets a little more specific. It says, I will be your God. You will have the promised land. But here specifically is what it means to be faithful to me. Now, I personally find it very helpful periodically to go through these Ten Commandments and look at them in detail. And that's one of the gifts that I have of being a pastor because periodically I do that as I'm teaching confirmation. Luther believes that in these commandments we can find out much about who God is, who we are, and who we are in relationship to God and each other. But to cover all of those lies a bit beyond the scope of our sermon today, especially in the second service, because everybody wants to get to that Iowa-Ohio State game. 
So let's look at where it starts. The first commandment. I am the Lord your God. I have brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Or if we switch it to that Colossians language, I have brought you out of bondage from the realm of darkness and sin. And I will bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey, into the light of the reign of my son Jesus. So, act like it. Act as if I have done these things for you. And if you've forgotten what that means, okay, let's go back to the beginning. I am the one, God says. I am a jealous God. We have forgotten what the word jealous means. We are jealous of our own things. We are envious of other people's things. God says, I am a jealous God. I am not going to share you with anyone or anything. You're mine. I'm not going to share you. Not with the Iowa women's basketball team or TikTok or wealth. Not with power or drugs or politicians. You may think it's punishment, but when you don't follow who you are and who I have claimed you to be, there are consequences. Ones that go beyond the reality of sin that is loose in the world and things like cancer and accidents. Consequences that follow you and your family when you follow other gods. How long for those who reject God? Three generations. But... How long is God faithful to us when we have been faithful to God? To the thousandth generation of those who love him. Your love for God brings benefit to those after you for, what's a generation, 40 years? It brings, your love for God brings benefit to those after you for 40,000 years. It's a way of saying, here is the volume of God's love for us. It is vastly more than the consequences of not following God. So God seems to be saying in these commandments, just do as Jesus said. You remember when Jesus is asked which is the greatest of the commandments? Do you remember what he says? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, heart, soul, mind, and strength, those particular words would mean something different to someone in Palestine in those days than they do to us right now. But they're a shorthand way of saying that we are to love God, be faithful to God with everything that makes up who you are with your intellect, with your personality and character, with your body and actions, with your intent and perseverance. Love God with the same dedication you give to football stats and sports, with the same detail you give to fishing and video gaming, with the same focus and attention you give to your children's upbringing and education. Why does Jesus say this? Love God with all that you are. Well, let me ask you a question. What is the thing you obsess over? 
that you think about always? What's the thing that shapes who you are and what you do? Martin Luther would say that's your God, your little g-God. And too often I wonder if those things are not the one who has created you and all that exists. The one who sent Jesus to show you how much God loves you. St. Augustine has a prayer that I have used sometimes during Lent, and it goes like this. O Lord, the house of my soul is narrow. Enlarge it that you may enter in. It is ruinous, O repair it. It displeases your sight. I confess it, I know. But who shall cleanse it? To whom shall I cry but to you? Cleanse me from my secret faults, O Lord, and spare your servant from strange sins. The house of my soul is narrow. It latches onto these puny gods, and it seems to be full, leaving no room for you who ought to be first. By the time the Gospel of John is written, the temple is already gone, long gone. It is destroyed. And I don't think that Jesus is against the temple itself. The critique of Jesus is that they are turning the house of prayer into a shopping mall. That's literally what he means by the word marketplace. You're turning it into a shopping mall. One that is too narrow an understanding of what it means to be faithful to God. To allow for the immensity of that meaning, Jesus drives out those things that are crowding it out. He drives out the economy of faith to make way for the fullness of faith. The gods that we follow, the little g-gods that we follow, are too small and limited. They look awfully big and important to us, don't they? With their billions of dollars and billions of views and billions of followers. With the power of whether we have a job or get a good grade. But they only look so big because the house of our soul is narrow. O Lord, the house of my soul is narrow, enlarge it so that you may enter in. Transfer me from devotion to these lesser gods and into full devotion of you. A devotion that means everything starts with you. That sees your Sabbath not as a burden, but a gracious intrusion into the economy of this world. A reminder that your God and we aren't. That the world will roll along just fine without us. And that there are more important things to pursue. Rest. Relationships with God and with each other. Oh Lord, the house of my soul is narrow. Enlarge it that you may enter in. That I may love you with all that I am. And that I may love my neighbor as myself. I appreciate what the Reverend Dr. Rolf Jacobson has said about the Ten Commandments. He reminds us the commandments are not about us being better people and getting God to love us more. After all, how could God love us more? 
God has already sent to us Jesus, his son, because he already loves us. No, Dr. Jacobson reminds us the commandments are about how we can love our neighbor well. And this love is not an emotion, right? It's not, I love you. It's not about how we feel towards our neighbor. Rather, this love is an action. It's an attitude. It's, not, it's about how we love. Just as faith is a verb, right? We've talked about that, particularly in the Gospel of Luke that we sat with so long last year. Faith is an action word, right? You are faithing. And so, it, too, it is with love. Love is an action word. And these commandments guide us in how we love one another. I love my neighbor by honoring my parents and those in authorities over me. By assuming that they do have something to offer to my life and my understanding. By not killing my neighbor out of hand with words or actions. I love my neighbor by honoring the relationships that they are in and not trying to take for myself what is theirs either in people or property. I love my neighbor by keeping the Eighth Commandment, always looking at what they do in the best possible way to assume the best of them and their motives in any given situation. That's how I love my neighbor. Abraham Lincoln said that a house divided against itself cannot stand. He got that from God who saw in the Israelites post-slavery in Egypt a people who knew only how to live according to a human way of thinking. And that human way said, hey, devote yourself to a human, Pharaoh. Trust in him to save you. Take what you can before the other guy got it. Kill, cheat, lie, steal to protect you and yours. And when God saw this, God knew, I got to train him in another way. That's why I think 40 years in the wilderness, he had to raise up a new people who knew only his way. Because that other way, that human way, only lies destruction. And God's desire for us from the very beginning has been life, life that truly is life. This is the foolish truth that Jesus and the Apostle Paul want us to see. That you have been claimed by God as beloved children through the waters of baptism. You have in those waters and by the power of the Holy Spirit been transferred from the reign of the darkness of sin into the reign of heaven where Jesus rules. And this has happened through the foolishness of the death of Jesus on the cross. A death that absorbed all the hatred and sin that we humans could throw at him and still he loved us. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And this has come to you not because of anything you do, but because God has chosen you. God has done this. And so since you are beloved children of God, made holy and blameless through Christ, just be what you are. It's that easy. Just be what you are. Bear that fruit. It's that simple. 
and that difficult. And if you forget what that is, if you forget who you are, if you forget what it looks like to love, okay, that's all right. Join with us other siblings of Christ. We get together regularly around word and sacrament to be reminded of who we are. It's one of those V8 moments, right? Oh, that's who I am. To be reminded of who God is. And as we practice what it means to love our neighbors by forgiving them and supporting them and helping them. And we gather to be fed by this meal of Christ's own body and blood, food to help that faith settle deep into our bones until we both become one. Oh Lord, the house of my soul is narrow. Enlarge it that you may enter in. That I may love you with all that I am. And that I may love my neighbor as myself. Amen.